in this part of the internet, we are both equal parts sinister and sexy on V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Do you ever find a piece of chocolate in the car you just bought? Don't bother unwrapping it because it's going to look like this harbinger guy. I'm your co-host, Peter. <laughs> Peter, we watch an episode of Star Trek that is a whole experience. This is this is a show that feels like it can do anything. This is a show with confidence. What did we watch? What's the line? I can do anything because he's got faith of the heart. That's why. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's there in the opening sequence right behind the banjo. We watched season three, episode 15, Harbringer, uh, teleplay by Manny Cotto. Again, that name has popped up again. This was going to become our season four executive producer, you said? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the savior of uh, Enterprise, or so the the folklore goes. Now, you told me there was no more Berman Braga stuff coming. Not by themselves. You know, like they've got Manny Cotto who's working their stuff story idea into an actual script right like <laughs> that, that's what has the story here. idea here's a story idea <laughs> we know we know what the story idea that brandon and Braga, brandon Braga hey, hey, welcome on board up with. <laughs> here we'll go ahead and do the skit right now uh <laughs> hey manny how you doing i'm good how you doing bud i am i'm rick berman uh I'm, yeah i'm brand Braga. i'm here too yeah, that's um, great nice to hey, see you listen so this teleplay gig we've got a bunch of really top-notch ideas uh we're gonna go ahead and give you some and you're gonna you're gonna spruce them up here's a great okay. one this is gonna be yeah, episode yeah, 15 yeah, yeah. here i wrote the entire yeah, got script got on this post-it note right uh-huh. here okay oh wait s- all it says is take to Paul's shirt off and go <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the, those hey, those two definitely hey, contributed talking something. make sure they're shooting the phasers and warp that's a thing. It was directed by David Livingston, who has been waiting all his life <laughs> for a chance to film Jolene Blaylock naked on screen. I would not be surprised if this is David Livingston's final directorial credit yeah, on he just Voyager. Came and I'm then sorry. died immediately. Just right there on set. He died doing what he loved. Hey, I, listen, I'm not going to say a lot of bad things about this one. To be perfectly blunt with you, there we all know where we're going with some of the humor and the comedy. And that is, if you want Enterprise at its most shamelessly sexy, you're going to see it all here. Like, never mind the Mako that had the see-through top, okay? Never mind the Vulcan uh, kung fu massage outfit meant for a, a boy child. Never mind wiping each other down with grease in the decon chamber. This That's is it missing from this one. Yeah, <laughs> this is the peak of sexy enterprise, but at the same time, it's fucking good. There's a lot of Part, tension. Parts of it are good. There's some yeah. real low points spelled R E E D that we will get to. Uh, don't worry before we can get in any of this. We need to remember where we came from. And unfortunately, we're going to return to the previously on Enterprise intro, which I have determined is actually a cost recovery mechanic where somehow they are presenting the visual effects budget 
to whoever's paying this stuff. And they're able to say like, each scene costs X dollars, but if we can reuse that scene in subsequent episodes, then you're getting a higher return on investment. I only have to shoot 40 minutes for this one because four minutes of uh, previously on is going to, to compress what I, the story. All that stuff is just hot shit VFX uh, scenes. So like your cost effectiveness or cost per frame goes down because you're using those scenes over and over again. So yeah, it's that recatching, if you like see it on TV, you're like, what the fuck's going on here? And if you want to see, uh, you know, the floor rippling like this is now I want to say the sixth time that they've exposed us to the visual effects from. Was it Twilight where the warp bubble gives uh, Archer brain bugs? Yes. Yeah, it's it's just constantly him shoving her out of the way as that ripple comes down the floor. Anyways, stuff happened. And as a result, uh, the Enterprise now knows uh, where the weapon is being developed. But before we can worry about that, it's time for Mr. Body Massage. Special guest star, Israeli hottie, wearing a see-through top. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, we're not even to her yet, right? Let's, we open on just Tucker, massaging a foot, right? And we Directed by Quentin Tarantino. We have seen a lot of Tucker massaging uh, a lady to begin episodes of Enterprise this season. So it's it's quite a strategic move to just have him talking to nobody that is actually answering him, but a clearly feminine foot in his care as he as he does Kung Fu touching on it. How but, many people do you think saw that foot and instantly knew that's not Joan Blaylock's foot. Too many. <laughs> foot people are weird, Peter. And I'm going to go ahead and stake that people. out as the official V'ger please position. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, sorry if you feel called out, but you deserve it. You deserve it. Listen, on the on the fetish meter, like. is It's not the worst one. No. I, I mean, listen, you got a gun to my head. I could I could rub some out to some feet, right? It's we're not talking kids. We're not talking alligators. I could do it. <laughs> do I want to do it? No, but I can see where you're coming from. And I mean that in a Vox solo way. <laughs> BT dub shout out to Alison Prager who retweeted us in regards to Vox. Did solo. she? Yeah. What'd she so, say? I mean, you know, I What'd retweeted she say? our episode to say oh, we had hey. similar thoughts. You know, Good. About, Look at us. About, about Vox Sola and the buckets have come. Mm-hmm. So if you've never watched Alison Prager's stuff on YouTube about Voyager episodes, trust me, you'll like them if you like us. But when they do swing that camera over to whom uh, Tucker is is touching, it is not to Paul. It is someone we've never seen before. This is going to be Corporal Cole, Amanda Cole. And as you said, it is played by uh, a Israeli actress named Noah Tishby. And you know she's Israeli because she's kind of got that Mediterranean military woman look. Two years seems IDF. Be, yeah, yep. it seems like that's just like patent to Israeli actresses. Uh, but unlike, say, Gal Gadot, Miss um, Tishby is a well-stocked human. She is very attractive and um, built in a way that you kind of buy that she might be a Mako, you know? And... Um, yeah, she's, yeah, she's in a top real... that's like way too small for her. 
and again, the high def, uh, nothing to the imagination. Nothing whatsoever. Very clear what's going on. Right. This is not. uh, This is not to Paul. Uh, It's a jolt to the audience because everything had seemed to be coming up with the two of them ending up together, as gets called out later in this episode when. To Paul tells Trip, like, I know you got it for me. Your clone told me, tried to jump my bones. I I know. I've uh I've played the game, I got to the plot point, and then I reloaded a previous save file. <laughs> but I cheated. I know what's about to happen. Uh-huh. I know what I'm dialogue be telepathic, but I didn't even have to use my telepathy. I just I, I just know because the slug version of you told me. Uh, so then it starts into your mind, like, okay, is he, is he mad at her? Like what, how, what could be happening that he is now moved on from to Paul to someone else? And not only is he like just sexing him up, he's doing the, the pressure, like he's putting the massage touches on. So this is a real emotional betrayal. And Tucker is definitely generously treated in this episode to say that he is treating the whole neuro pressure thing very seriously while giving it to her while not, he doesn't make the first move. She makes a move on him after they've had, you know, some very suggestive, but still kind of on the side of chivalry interactions. And he is very, uh, you know, like, Oh, I do declare, madam, I was not expecting you to decide to make out with me. When I invited you to my room and then I mandated for me to, uh, for you to be eligible for me to massage you, that you had to get down to your bra, bralette or whatever fucking sports bra you're wearing. I mean, she wears it effectively. <laughs> sure. But uh, <laughs> there's that a her. way to do this stuff clinically. If only there was like <laughs> some sort of a public area where the massages would be appropriate, but then there would just be a flat out massage parlor. So <laughs> there's no way to cut this. Vulcan acupuncture stuff other than sexy. And what I really like is later in the episode. uh, They call it right out, right? Reed in the one thing he does this episode where I don't want to fucking stick his head in an oven. When he goes, well, hey, you know, you're doing the massage thing. I kind of just drop it already. Reed here on Enterprise. Boys don't touch boys. When's the last time you saw the two of us alone together in the decontamination room? That stuff's a verboten. We don't do it. I, I like that scene a lot. And when we get to it, I, I will explain more. But I feel like that final punchline was just just Tripp's admission of like, yes, OK, I'm trying. I I'm, wanted to I'm touch the boobies. He's on the ship and I like it. OK, I mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got me. You got me, Reed. <laughs> I'm a man who likes ladies. <laughs> There's three things I like. Engines. Uh, shoving my nose into uh, domestic affairs where I'm trying to empower cogenitors to the detriment to the Starfleet's diplomatic efforts and pretty ladies. Oh, and key lime pie. There's four things I like. And the harmonica, five things. But mostly the cogenitor thing. So Cole lays it on Trip. Trip is like, I like this. He's receptive, uh, but is, you know, left kind of with a smirk on his face. Contraneer, as an actor with a lot of charisma, that comes out a lot in this episode. It's frankly part of the reason why the romance stuff doesn't play poorly to me. Like, everyone's kind of got chemistry. 
in a way that like think of uh how little chemistry there was with Roxanne Dawson and uh Robert Duncan McNeil and like how we constantly criticized all their scenes together of like you just don't seem to even like each other <laughs> like which is amazing it, because independently those are two very charismatic people yeah but for some reason they couldn't make it work on screen together except for one particularly tragic moment which wasn't even them and God, that fuck man fuck you yeah <laughs> who was that what what goddamn director was that was that potsy yeah fuck you rat fuck son of a bitch but in this episode like so here's what's not there for uh trip in this he is a good guy he is a a charming individual he's a there's no emotional grief right and I feel like that is a well they've gone to enough times this season that there's an expectation that the emotional damage that he felt from his family getting killed uh, needed to be there at some level. And uh, well, it gets cold kind of talks about. Yeah, it, like, it's implied that that's part of the reason why they're close. And I thought that was very clever to say it's not just that she's hot and he they want to bone each other. It's. She's from Florida. They went to like similar high schools. They knew some of the same people. Their towns got wiped out. Like there's a commonality in in the pain that they suffer as a consequence of what happened that allowed them to bond. And I don't necessarily need to see that on screen. In fact, her explaining it to to Paul and just saying like, you know, actually it isn't just that I want to fuck him. It's (laughs) that I actually like him. Um, Certainly helped Cole's character out, but also Trip, right? Like all, all of a sudden, so all of this makes sense, and it's it's Trip not even really thinking that to Paul has feelings for him. So why would she, he be concerned about that? I think that's ultimately how this plays. Is I don't think he thought she liked him, and it was the shot. It was the the slug version of him that lacked all of that sort of um, inhibition. Sort of, that that's the complication that comes with living a full adult life in terms of your emotional intelligence that kind of makes you think, well, she's an alien. She isn't really into me. Like that would be silly. And he doesn't really get that. And so he confessed it where he wouldn't. And so he's like, well, I'm going to obviously pursue a woman that would be interested in me, which is a human, not Vulcan. I, mean, I didn't happen by any of that. Okay. Um, and the way to fix that would have been a scene between Archer and Trip, where two episodes ago, or maybe last episode, um, Trip floats the idea by Archer, like, "Hey, you know, do you think it's possible that uh, T'Pol has, you know, feelings for me?" And Archer to kind of be like, "Come on, Trip, she's a Vulcan. They don't have feelings. just something where there's that curiosity there, because right. for all of the." essentially screen for play that they've had this season. And then you discard all this season because their relationship has been trash. And you go back to the good stuff from season one and season two, where they're genuinely connecting at an emotional level, right? All the good buildup that was actually there. Uh, there's so much runway here that for trip to be completely ignorant of it. Uh, I don't buy it all because trips, not a fucking dummy. That's a fair point. When you really put all of it in context, 
there should have been some kind of like he needed to, like you said, be pushed away from that idea for for him to turn to Cole to like really calculate. And I think the scene you suggest is exactly the one you would need because Archer would be the one you would confide in because they're friends and Archer would be the one to tell him, no, dude, she's a Vulcan or Reed. I mean, he could have tried broaching Reed on it and Reed could have shot it down because Reed's a piece of shit and a fucking backstabber. And uh, also very emotionally closed off. He might just read it that way. And he's got his own crush on to Paul. If you remember back to yeah. uh, his hallucinations. One. Yeah, he had this wet dreams. Yeah, which um, if there's anything to take out of Shuttle Pod 1, it's that Reed rightfully beats off thinking about to Paul, and also mashed potatoes can patch uh, all breaches, which I'm going to try very hard in our podcast not to make light of the people who died in that submarine. But <laughs> maybe if that carbon fiber hull had been slathered in Starfleet issue mashed potatoes... The tragedy could have been averted. So uh, I, I'm not going to waste too much time lamenting the the rickety bridge of uh, Trip's decision making process. That somehow the woman that's been working his body and hanging boobies in his face, yeah, and all her little smirks might not be interested. At the end of the day, we come out of this with a very effective and very sexy cold open which is a pleasant change of pace because a lot of times when they're doing sexy on Star Trek, it's like cringy exploitive face palmy. And this, this was all pretty actually legit. works. You like all of this works pretty well. It strikes you as more adult. You know, there is definitely a desire to be sexy, but at least it's not juvenile. So I'll take How about it. this. If Cole would have kissed him and, then explored the fact that trip wasn't instantly like into it. Mm-hmm. She could have been like, what's wrong? Is there somebody else in your life and him to have to like, I guess not. Right. You like, know, really? Like, no, I guess hey, there's something good in front of you right now. You want to tell me no, because of uh, what might happen or do you want to try and, you know, go for round two where this is going to happen? Whatever. Um, now we move to the low point of the episode. And perhaps a low point of the entire season. And that is Corporal Hayes, no, Major Hayes of the Makos is a man's man. And uh, Lieutenant Reed is a punk bitch. Special guest star. I didn't know that Enterprise hallway sets were really this big. I lament that Reed is has to be written like this. Like, I kind of feel bad. For the actor, and he's handed the script of like your your guy is going to be so juvenile and unprofessional and psychotic. Yeah, to make this plot work, it's like the only way we can make this work is to just make you wrong the whole way. But I will say it is in service to doing probably the best hand to hand fight scenes the show has ever done, <laughs> hands down. They really work the stuntmen out in this one you know they're they're especially whoever uh uh mayweather's stuntman is he's gonna do that stand-up fight with the mako in fact i think it was the actor himself who was doing a lot of those like all that was trash and it wasn't uh, trash at all dude the the whole the subplots trash the fight sequences are 
god awful. They're not god awful for Trek. This is good. This is pretty damn good for Trek. No, for Trek. Uh, well, let's see. I... It's not about some John Wick shit, but this is this is pretty kinetic and and brutal as far as Trek fighting goes. There's even a double axe handle. No, and it's funny because I, I, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, God, this is terrible fighting. And then it just made me think about Picard season one and like Doge fucking up the towels. Hell, Shiar, Shiar. And then just this as a reminder to and the fact that you're calling this the best that Berman era could get. Like there's been better stuff out there. Please explain. But also, I want you to tell me what's a better fight scene on Enterprise than this. Are guns allowed to be involved or does it have to be hand to hand fist fighting? That'll be my homework. I can find you a better one. Okay. But uh, fair enough, though, that like when I put you to the challenge, you couldn't come up with one right off the top of your head. Because guns end up in every fucking scene. Like, it's rare you see people just go fist fight the whole way through. It's always a fist fight until someone gets a gun. Okay. And that's usually because it's two enemies fighting each other and not, you know, two guys on the same part of the crew. What really took me out of the fight scenes in this is that they keep pulling out and it's two obvious fucking stuntmen <laughs> that look nothing like either of these guys. And then when they cut in close, uh, I can't even tell you if uh, Major Hayes looks like a competent fighter himself because Reed looks like he's doing a jazzercise class with his erratic <laughs> spazzing body movements. It's the arms that are particularly noticeable because the actor of Reed has such like skinny, like chicken forearms. Well, and then they cut back to this stunt double stunt doubles, like a big brawny LA stunt double guy. It's like, you can take Reed out of this and replace Reed with the character of Daffy duck. (laughs) And I think the portrayals would overlap pretty close minus a speech impediment. Yeah. So the idea. Yeah. Go ahead. What's happened is Reed gets called to Archer's office and Archer goes, um, the crazy jarhead space Marines that don't have anything to do all day. They think (laughs) we need to do some extra training. So they want to share their advanced weapons and, uh, and tactics with us in reach and additional training sessions for your security force and some bridge crew. And Reed like starts ticking as like his uh, brain blue screens and violently opposes the notion that there should be an outside horse, which I can kind of get until Archer starts putting his foot down on it. And at a certain point in leadership or a job, you have to understand, especially as Archer will point out several times over the episode, the the survival of Earth hangs in the balance. So let's take worst case scenario that major Hayes really does want to take over Reed's position at a certain level. You would have to, unless you're a complete sociopath say, maybe, maybe this guy might be better on a weight. Or if you are better then you should take over. And the initial scene here where he's resistant to the idea, because he comes up with his one good talking point, which is, I mean, the Makos have fought a lot less aliens in space than my security team. Like my security team was out here with you for two years. And Archer could be like, with- fought. Yes. One fights. 
It's like a decent point of him like we have more fighting in space experience than the Makos do. And he's like, well, they're a bunch of the aforementioned jarheads with nothing to do. All they do all day is smack rocks together. They're they they're killing machines. And they might be mostly simulated killing machines, but they've also been killing machines on this first part of our mission. So they might have to see him on the mining slave mining facility. The one guy came down from the roof. I've never seen any of your guys come down from the roof. (laughs) They repelled in. They had electric tonfas. They were ready to fucking throw the fuck down. They have sniper rifles. Reed, let me ask you a question. What do you think the Makos would have done to those? uh, Those guys that I can't call Ferengi because they never said Ferengi, but the Ferengi. What do you you think they would have done to them? And all Reed would have to say, you remember the the Wild West planet? Yeah. And then fall down on the job too, boss. They're not that good. (laughs) Got beat by cowboys. And it's so after that, you've got this walk, not even a walk and talk. It's like a a sprint and talk between Hayes and Reed where they're Hayes is trying to like lock down Reed for a training session days. I couldn't even really pick up on the conversation because it's like the first time you really see how long these hallway set pieces are. And it's like, might as well be like a quarter of a mile. Yeah, they definitely do a bit of Aaron Sorkin there. (laughs) They capture the scene in motion. And Reed is being purposefully obstinate and difficult in the exact schedule. He's being a bitch. Because he doesn't like the idea. And yeah, he, it turns into office politics. And the real reason he's pissed is that uh, Hayes is supposed to report to him. Hayes is supposed to be under his command for this mission. That's been the setup ever since the beginning. And that means Hayes should not be going to Captain Archer with his ideas. Hayes should be going to Reed with his ideas. And he chose to do a little end around and and propose what he proposed to Archer. And uh, Reed doesn't like that he got ambushed with that idea while being unaware of it. Because he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to do it. Then Reed's basic Hayes points out correctly, like you're stupid. We just need to do this. <laughs> like who the fuck cares? I had to go around you because I knew you'd say no. And that would be dumb. You just want my job. Well, listen, man, I've been reading the mission briefings and I found out that you're basically suicidal and looking for a reason to die like every other mission back season one and season two. So, yeah, maybe if I was primed to be your replacement, I'm not saying I want to take over, but when you inevitably tape yourself to the next Romulan mine. Uh, you know, there's there's a clear line of succession there. They don't say that. But so he finally uh, it's this little power grab. You know, I want mornings. No, I want afternoons. Afternoons it is. So let's talk about the subplots separately then, because we spent most of our time talking about the, the love plot and the uh, Reed Hayes plot. Let's finish up that because it basically has nothing to do with the rest of what happens in this episode. I disagree because the Reed stuff is pretty closely tied and that's that's what they finally resolve their conflict. Well, yeah, when you come back to the end, they manage to work together to solve the space. This isn't the Voyager uh, Starfleet Academy slash cheese crisis. But the way that the this Reed Hayes plot goes is they have the training and first there's physical combat training where they're doing all kinds of judo throws and mixed martial arts stuff. This uh, is this before is, UFC was really mainstream. So people didn't actually know what 
real fighting looks like. You have everyone fighting in pairs. Uh, Paul is very uh, easily dispatching her foe while looking over at the fact that, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe Tripp's losing a little bit on purpose so he can get his ass touched in ways that he likes as we see them flirting with each other as they as they as uh, he and, and Cole spar. And then eventually she the turns other around. thing you see is move over Roxanne Dawson because there's a new push up champ in town and it's Jolene Blaylock. Do you see like at some point she's down low and she's like backhands that guy? Oh, the yeah. muscle definition, like the stupid professor disco outfits they put Jolene Blaylock in uh, while skimpy doesn't really reveal definition when they've got her in these uh, sports bra or whatever the fuck all you see are them guns like respect oh yeah I mean we've said many times the show is ridiculously fit that goes across the board every single one of these actors is in peak physical condition yeah but I was really surprised by the muscle tone she's carrying yeah I mean they're not just skinny they're all muscular she it was, she could it was go on like crossfit like crossfit bodies I think she would have been uh, at home in Predator or a Conan movie alongside uh, Schwarzenegger, like she's jacked, and I, and I didn't realize it. The guy who's the most jacked, though, oh, Paul takes a, a fucking uppercut to the face <laughs> because he gets distracted by this whole touching, training thing. Just touching butt, like she—that's the comedy beat there. It happens, and I'll tell you. All right, I. <laughs> Don't want to tell the story. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was in college and I was in the Shuai uh, Zhao Kung Fu Club mm-hmm. and uh, it was good and great. And we were doing this whatever punching blocking exercise. They had us in the gym where the gymnastics team would practice with like the springboard floor. And that worked great because Kung Fu, this style is a lot of throwing and hip tosses and stuff. Uh, and I'm doing this punching blocking exercise and the one girl's like doing this backflip routine down um, a balance beam. And when you don't pay attention, you get punched in the face. That's true facts. That happened yes. to me many times. I never learned my lesson and I'm glad I didn't because it was worth it every time. <laughs> the The takeaway is that the Makos are being needlessly rough or that's what takeaway read Taz, even though nobody else seems to object to getting worked over. But like Hayes, the, the, the big piece of that, though, you I don't want to go without mentioning it. Mayweather throws down with Mako and we see the most jacked guy like I, I've i really started to appreciate Mayweather because the guy like goes four rounds with his Mako bare knuckle uh, UFC fighting, you know, they he does most of the stunts with the stunt guy that's like close in shots of him so that you can show that he's doing it the actor is in stunning shape as always uh a a chiseled form of obsidian that is anthony montgomery and at the end of it after he gets kind of his ass kicked a little bit, he like he, pops up and he's like, boy, boy, howdy. That was such a great sparring there, buddy. Let me give you a big, big handshake. And this dude is like a foot taller than him. And is like a re has reach and still barely beat him. Like, <laughs> like oh. spent six weeks living in a warp core. <laughs> uh, Mayweather side note, Mayweather and Hoshi both. Uh, and I don't think there's anybody. Else. 
even Reed's had his fair amount of time in the sun this season, but Mayweather and Hoshi just criminally neglected. And we gave Mayweather a lot of shit, but I would say by the time we got to the cave spelunking episode, he really kind of came into his own. I don't know if just limiting his screen time is why I've become fond of him. I don't know if I think so. Started scripting him better. He's bad. Uh, There's no getting around it. Listen, man, go to dialogue in this episode when he at the very beginning of the main plot, when he is telling the captain that like shit is fucky ahead where he 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 literally seems like he's like a sub amateur theater level actor of like, oh, golly, I just noticed that there is stuff ahead that is bad. And it's like, whoa, whoa, buddy. Well, you got to do better than that. Come on. Maybe distance does make the heart grow fonder than I that didn't really stick out as terrible to me. And again, I go back to Space Trucker Justice Part Two. And maybe it's him on screen less. And I think there were acting lessons somewhere along the line. So it's many different little tributaries feeding into the same stream. But the result is the same. And it's that I do wish he was in there more. And then Hoshi was never bad to start off. She was bland, but does she even get lines this episode? Uh, I think there were, she did have a couple lines because they were talking about like science stuff. It was just techno babble though. She had no substantive dramatic lines. I'll Thumbs down. Yeah. Not, Anyways, not a one. No, so I really think about it. All this training is to emphasize that the Makos are being too rough. Hayes is like commentating like, Oh, good block. Good. This or that. None of it seems like legitimate fight training, and it just looks like dudes fist fighting while Hayes is running like color commentary with uh, <laughs> Jr. With Jr. <laughs> By God, that helmsman had a family. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a good video again. You know, it always comes back to world wrestling. Uh, it's Jr. making ladder com- ladder match commentary. But the video they splice in is just Solid Snake climbing up letters in uh, Metal Gear. (laughs) It's good. He's on top of the ladder. He's on top of the ladder. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Mayweather goes the distance, works the makeover pretty well, and then Mako gets the final shot, slams his head in the floor, and he gets him and goes, okay, you know, good match, handshake. But... Reed has his backup, cancels the whole thing. Uh, acts does his best Jonathan Archer impersonation, gets real petulant, cancels it. And nobody else really picks up on Reed being a testy bitch. And it makes me wonder if just that's what people have come to expect from him. So nothing seems does. out of the orient. Like Trip brings it up when they're at uh lunch and they have the scene where, where I think he has Trip to... just wanted to brag about, you know, rolling around on the ground with uh, cor- what's what's what was she Corporal, Corporal Cole, Corporal Hottie. Yeah. And that's he's just trying to, you know, lubricate into there. I think Hadina. Oh, no, that was that was after the second training session because they used the gun. Yeah. So the, the second training session is when they do target practice. And uh, as we know, Reed 
doesn't really know how to shoot because he doesn't know how to hold a gun. So clearly he doesn't do very well. And then major Hayes shows him up and like the Mako, even some of the other Makos are even better shots than, than Hayes. And it ends in a real shit show where the, the enterprise crew isn't very good at shooting, but the only one who really cares is, is Reed. Cause it's supposed to be the thing he does previously to Michael Burnham, picking a phaser up the wrong way where the barrel was pointing towards her. Uh, Reed was clearly known as the worst uh, gun I just can't that shot stayed in that episode. You know, like, did they not notice? There's just no other version of that shot where she holds the phaser, right? Why'd they let that go out? I don't understand. Ask season four. So uh, all of that ends up culminating in Reed and Hayes having the classic argument fight. The argument fight is... You know, at first, uh, it's Hayes mocking Reed and then Reed getting the advantage and mocking Hayes. And it's like, all right, well, now we're not screwing around. And Hayes gets the advantage on Reed and tries to walk away. And then he does the classic tackle him in the hallway. And no, 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 continue no, no, the no, fight no, in the hallway. no, 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 no. That scene opens up with Reed shadow boxing in the mirror. If you didn't, if you think Reed doesn't know how to hold a gun. He just doesn't know how to box shadow box, right? Yeah, it's true. How dare I? How dare I skip this? Again, go take that key and peel jazzercise video and take that 80s techno music and lay it over on top of this. And I think his movements would probably fall yeah, in just, line. Just, with the just roll maniac over it like you're watching Flashdance. <laughs> uh, you have quite an entertaining little video. Just him in the, in the mirror. Yeah. Hayes shows up. Sees Reed in there, tries to de-escalate the situation by leaving, and then Reed, completely fucking psychotic, is like, no, come on, let's do this. And I think Hayes goes in, or maybe I'm being overly generous and charitable towards my uh, understanding of Hayes, but I think Hayes goes in to like, try to have uh, a non-psychotic sparring match, and instead Daffy Duck just like unloads on him, and Hayes has to like straighten him out. There's a couple of genuine connections. And then finally, Hayes is like, I'm getting out of here. Walks away with his back to him. And then like the fucking rabbit in Monty Python that just shoots out and fucking cuts a guy's <laughs> arm. This guy comes in like, I don't know, fucking bicycle kicks Hayes from behind. I, I mean, I, I would say at this point, it just becomes flat out assault. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now they're just actually just fighting like. If it was a bar fight, you know, like it's just that now it's dishonorable, right? There's, it's just, I just want to whoop your ass. Like Reed busts out like fancy Klingon moves to like show what he's learned in space. Please, try and close that quote. loop. Where'd you learn that? Oh, it's just a little Klingon move. I picked up what you mean when that lady beat your ass or the well, other ladies beat your ass. Like it was a, it was a wrestling move. So he, he, uh, he picked it up on the premiere. Debo showed him that move. Potentially, yeah, Zeus. Uh, has there been any other big wrestlers we've known? No, Big Show hasn't shown up yet. I don't know how many fights Reed has legitimately won. I guess he beat a lot of zombies. That's gunfights. Yeah, physical fights. Uh, did he punch out or no, he stunned to Paul when he yeah. was in the suit. Yeah, he's good at shooting co-workers. Yeah. And I think past that, he has just been like the token. I'm going to demonstrate I'm strong by beating up your little boy. 
So they go back and forth. Keep in mind, these hallways are dangerous. Many people have been knocked out by the, the wall protrusions and whatnot. Unfortunately, their fight gets uh, suspended by a tactical alert. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to mm-hmm. the plot. So we just have the romance to tie up before we can get to the actual science fiction. So after Flox becomes aware that Cole's nervous system has been damaged by uh, the clumsy ministrations of Commander Tucker, Paul is enlisted to help to fix it, which is when she finds out that it's happening. And that's really the subtext. And we did conversation where Trip and Paul are working on the space problem and she brings up, hey, I heard this happen with Cole and you know, he just very matter of factly reviews like, oh, I've been giving her neuro pressure, you know, and did, did I, I do it to you all the time. I can't do it to her. And she's like, a f- you know, you're a novice. You did it. You do it to me under my supervision. She's got obvious stink. There's real oh, attitude yeah. here. And, and she is she is not trying to show she's jealous, but she is. And then she really shows her hand when she starts commenting on the fact that. Cole's touched his ass and that they hang out. Let me ask you something, and and, and we might need to get a little spoily here, but I want to really understand the context that I'm seeing to Paul's behavior in. Uh, To my knowledge, two things have happened to, three things have happened, maybe even four things have happened to Paul. To Paul has uh, Vulcan AIDS Mm -hmm. that the Cenobites gave her. Correct. Uh, to Paul is already something of a rogue in that she has a uh, a problematic interest in human emotions that makes Correct. her an outsider. Um, she has been exposed to Trillium D, which may have lingering effects. Correct. Um. There was something else I feel like that's really been uh, a, a potential for her not to be in what the Vulcans would consider a healthy that, that she could be emotionally compromised on top of whatever the fuck happened in like the seventh. Like it's pretty. You, you could just add the whole similitude episode, like layer that. On. And sim. Well, I mean, still, I think if she was the picture of Vulcan logical health, similitude shouldn't have been that much of a brain fuck on her. But she it's pretty frequent in enterprise that things happen that veer her off trajectory of what the ideal pinnacle of Vulcan health should be. So the jealousy she's showing and the stank attitude and everything else, is it because she is not well or that she has been altered? Uh, In the effort of answering your question while spoiling as little as possible, I will say that the things you have mentioned uh, all are part of why this is happening and that will continue to be explored. Okay. Is that enough? Sure. Yeah. So if she were a normal Vulcan, this her putting these telltale signs out are intentional and there is a reason behind it other than Berman wants him to fuck. Yeah. Like there are equal parts genuine attraction and all of the stuff you mentioned. Fair enough. She stank. She's bringing it up. Uh, now you, you really see trip oh, did we, picking did up. We talk the, about her and Cole. Oh, we haven't got there yet. So it's, oh. the first you have the, she's stank and trip kind of finds out she's stank. Right. And 
comments silent Ry- treatment riley on on this and that is after that is when cole comes in for treatment from tapal which she previously indicated she would absolutely not do so she was convinced to do this to to fix the damage she is dressed conservatively and not in her pajamas if you've noticed when she come when cole comes in i didn't my eyes were on cole actually i saw <laughs> cole was in a zip-up j- jacket um hmm that that's interesting. My interpretation of the scene was that because she, she shot down Flox's idea of working on Cole. She did not shoot that down. <clears throat> she was asked to do it, and she like demurred, but didn't didn't say one way or another. And then you have this. I don't. It was not. A sh- sh- I just watched it. There's a clear. It's it comes right at the end to say, oh, by the way, could you also work on? She kind of like. I thought she kind of like rolled her eyes and gave the body language of like fat chance. But my my impression on this scene going in was that she is investigating uh, Tripp's claims that it was just platonic and that there was nothing else. And like she's basically like, let me see what this bitch is about. Is she, you know, what is she after? What is she on? You know, what yeah. is you know, she want my man? You know, there's a little bit of that. Like, who right. am I competing with? Right. Like, it's clearly to Paul is in. I'm p- competing for a mate yeah. mode and get brings Cole in, starts to work on her. And that's when Cole explains they connected over Florida, over the destruction of their homes, over a shared similar life, which to Paul quietly. And there's a lot of good face acting on. Jalen Blaylock's point uh, part on in this episode where she's like, okay, like I guess I get why Trip would be attracted to you. Like it's starting to make sense to me. And then she like gets horny on main for him. She accidentally like breaks her collarbone or some shit. <laughs> like I don't know what's supposed to be suggested there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh <laughs> that part of you shouldn't crunch and crack. Yeah. I was like, oh that was a collarbone. And she's I out also... for six to eight weeks now. <laughs> i also get uh shades of now that you mention it trip really is a great guy and you know you've sat there and outlined all the wonderful things about him that i was not maybe admitting to myself or had not really acknowledged and now that you mention it maybe he is something i want to admit that i want You've just quantified him as a value. Right. And that, you know, that's very logical, right? Like, oh, I've neglected this opportunity. And now it is the, its value of it has been expressed to me by someone else. And of course, what should happen next is, you know, it's it's T'Pol and, and Trip together. And T'Pol's in a, in a robe this time. And, and it's premeditated. It's, yeah, like... There's a strategy here. The lights are lower. There's candlelight. She's in a robe, which we will find out she has no clothes on under. Mm -hmm. And she smells like vanilla. She's making a move. She wants to bag Trip Tucker this evening. She is going to fuck this man. And the her her game to nail this dude is to slowly reveal information that she knows or at least has a strong implication that he's attracted to her, get him 
to lower his defenses such that he will admit to that. And then when, when, when that hook is in, you know, throw one on him, see that he likes it and then reveal that I'm not wearing any clothes. And it's about, it's time, it's time to do all kinds of uh, neuro pressure in new locations. She's, she's quite, she's quite the seductress that to pull. It's this back and forth game of you're jealous and I'm not, and things yeah. are fine and, and bending it back and forth. It's a sort of power game, you know, it's like classified as manipulative, but I thought it was real shitty terms for them to have their first real intimate encounter on. And they kind of salvage the what I thought to be shitty terms uh, by the follow up to them fucking where Trip comes over and it's like, hey, we need to talk about last night. Is this where the to Paul T? Uh, screenshot the comes from comes from where she's got their eyes real wide while she's trying to like not make eye contact with trip about talking about fucking him. Yeah. Uh, you know, trips like, Hey, we should talk. And then she plays it off. Like that was just science. You were an experiment. And then all of a sudden trips, hurt feelings are hurt. Uh, but you know, by the end, I think we should still doing, keep doing press for massage, which basically means they're moving into fuck buddy status. I liked the said, Production scene it was very appropriate for the two characters it felt again there was tons of chemistry between the actors it works like the trip sort of like reveals this information and you know he's genuinely a little trepidatious about all of it and it's to paul who's the one that's kind of making the move because she kind of knows what she wants here whereas trip is he's trying to like keep his shit to himself. Cause he just had this conversation with, with uh, Reed about like, uh, yeah, I guess I am like messing around with two ladies. Like I need to like dial it back. <laughs> like, I'm on a mission to save earth. What is this? It also bears mentioning that when she's confronting trip, she goes, I, listen, I know you like me because your clone told me so. Oh that, yeah. That's a big po- point of that scene. And then he Her- says he admitted that to you, which is just like, you know, the clear indictment she's looking for of that. He's admitting that that's true. To Paul playing it cool in the follow-up scene in the mess hall. Oh, hey, I'd appreciate it if we can just keep this between us, which is why I'm bringing it up to you in the most crowded room in the fucking ship. Um, the fact that she's like, I want to be friends with benefits, basically, and it's nothing more than that. I can look and see like, okay, she's trying to protect herself, and by making it physical, then it's not emotional, and she's still being a good Klingon, and this and that, like... Sure, but that seems real fucking high school. And I think for the two of them, again, since there has been genuine connection in the previous two seasons, right? She has gone to him with her most intimate problems of like, I don't want to be in a fucking prearranged marriage. Yep. Uh, other big missed opportunities. Hey, I'm really sick and, uh, you know, I'm doing the right thing by not calling the government's attention that I was like brain raped. I would have liked this has been a genuine emotional, a genuine connection between them. Listen, you're jealous. I'm jealous. It's because I got feelings for you to Paul. Here's a, uh, an admission of uh, emotional vulnerability from trip. Here's an acknowledgement of to Paul that, you know, she does find a, a deep value in the camaraderie and, and more in that. So I don't know where they're going to go with this plot line. I have a feeling it's going to be some real juvenile 
fucking 90210 shit. And maybe that's what they thought would get the ratings. But uh, also maybe it's too because Paris and Bellana, it was a mature connection that they made with each other, right? It wasn't like... Oh, sure, yeah. Their first some, episode together involved uh, Paris not having sex with her quite and also them like almost dying together out in space like yeah so maybe because they went the high road with those guys they're going the 90210 low road with the more sexy greasy pair i feel like this ends up developing in a very interesting direction and one of the casualties of season five not happening is seeing how it ends i'm not saying you don't get an ending and that there's a point where it leaves where it's like you kind of imagine what happens but it this was the beginning season four. You get to see a lot develop. So even in season three, you see a lot develop, you know, we've got half the season left. And I think they were leading into season five being something where it all pays off. And I thought that would, that would have been really cool. And it's a shame it didn't get to happen. I guess that's really enterprise though. You've got two ways to go. And one is the scandalous uh, affair, which is what we're seeing here. And the other would have been a mature, romance well i think it ends up having elements of both and it it captures the unsteadiness that both of them have because you know one is a human and one is a vulcan and this is literally an alien engaging in in a relationship with a human that you know is not that's this isn't going to be approved of by her people and that ends up being very complicated she does is approved of though and and to say that to paul's an alien is a joke She's got pointy ears for all intents and purposes, just like the fucking doctor. The EMH was a human like these are human characters are around humans, whatever. Like anytime. Enterprise is not ashamed to play the cheap thrill card. Clearly, sex is one of the cheap thrills, uh, fights, running guns, whatever. It It's an action TV show with science fiction elements. Uh, well, so that's where they, they leave things off there is that they're just going to be friends with benefits and keep it on the DL, which everybody already knows. So good luck with that. The last piece is the actual main space plot, which there's a lot that happens, but not necessarily a lot of action that requires description. Uh, Enterprise comes across a spot in the Delphic Expanse where a bunch of the spheres have intersected and created a spatial anomaly. We know this anomaly is a big deal because a habited planet at ground zero of the anomaly has been scourged of life. Okay, so this is not a good thing. You don't want to be in it. But there is a a little capsule with a guy in it. A little submarine. Just inside the anomaly and they use the grappler after a kind of a neat thing where they show how they would compensate for like uh, particle drift or, Goo or gravitational or whatever, like to, to get it and pull it out before they do though, they get partially sucked in and you get this terrible effect of the bridge just being tinted red with little sparklies in the corners to represent them slowly choking until they finally just call trip and say, could you put it in reverse please? <laughs> and that apparently fixes the problem. I kind of like the uh, visual effect of the submerged portion of the ship and like the sparkly things off in the corner. I, in my mind, I saw that as like, if you were getting strangled or you hit your head real hard, like you got like weird, like visual stuff going on. Like that's the way they're seeing like 
shit's fucked up. Like that's what Archer sees when he gets punched in the head. A sexy purple tint goes on everything. That's why and then he's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically like ecstasy for him. Again, and... this is just like, why the fuck would you care? You know where the aliens are, where the Zindi are developing the Death Star that's going to blow up Earth. Hey, there's a fucking goofy anomaly. Where's the archer that's like, I don't care. Go to where the bad guys are. We need to stop them. Yeah, let's fly over and let's look around. <gasps> look at that. Out of this huge expanse of nebula, there's one needle in the haystack. There's a little submarine in there. There's no distress call. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's a science thing collecting data. Let's go steal it. They pop this bad boy open and there is a melted chocolate man inside. Yeah. So what I was saying in the beginning, like if you leave a piece of candy somewhere for way too long, chocolate specifically, and you open it up, this is what it looks like. It looks like uh, old school dog poops when they were still putting bone shavings in the dog mix. Yeah, it, it's a crackly boy. And he, Mr. Crackly Boy, Nestle, not, <laughs> Nestle the Crackly Boy, uh, he does not want to be uh, out of his his little thing. He doesn't want to be uh, outside the anomaly. Uh, Flox is flummoxed at what the fuck is going on. He seems to be disintegrating by his reckoning. And he continually protests to Archer, actually, about keeping him conscious because he is suffering so much pain. But uh, Archer has a hunch that this guy knows things about what's going on and therefore sort of tortures him by forcing him into consciousness and asking him questions while yelling at him. Shockingly, this proves largely ineffective as an interrogation technique. Uh, but I guess fortunately for the audience, we run out of time in the episode, so he just needs to kind of get up, attack Flux, and begin to fuck with the ship and be the bad guy at some Not point. Not so fast there, Joe. Archer's like, bring him awake. I need to talk to him. Uh, he lays a sob story on him. I was just a prisoner. I was roped into yeah, 12 experiment. Monkeys, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what's going on. I'm in so much pain, please. Certain point, uh, he's completely unconscious. Arch, I need to talk to him again, which... Archer's done this a couple of times. People have been in real bad positions and he like forces them awake. And then Flox lays this one on us. And I quote, Captain, this man is dying a painful death. To keep him conscious is unethical. I mean, these guys just in this season have made a clone. <laughs> you know, they've. they've I uh... mean, dear doctor. They've bottled right. up some some war crimes and and carried them with them from a dead civilization. Um, you know they've they've decided to violate ethical concerns basically whenever they wanted. So again, dear doctor, Flox is perfectly content to let this fucking entire planet of women, children, and Mister Rogers die a painful death. But by God, Nestle deserves better. So uh, at a certain point, Archer touches him. It gets disclosed that, hey, I'm not even from your reality. I'm a transphasic being or whatever. I'm from a different part of space. I need to be back in my ship. They're monitoring me. I must be important, whatever. He touches Archer. His hand kind of goes through him. Everybody seems surprised. Later on, he uh, asks the doctor, it's like, you know, am I going to die? Where are you from? Where's the crew from? You guys seem different. Flox has a pretty good bedside manner. 
and then uh, he becomes the transphasic strangler as he sneaks yeah, up behind Flux. the bad guy. Right? Uh, gets him with this fucking headlock guillotine where his arm just goes straight through. And I'm kind of like, that'd be an interesting way for Flox to die. Also, this is the second time now Flox has gotten got with sloppy procedures in his sickbay. The last time it was uh, the Borg converts. And in this case, of course, it was his compassion for the fact that he'd been forced into doing something he didn't want to do that led him to be lax. And sure enough, this guy starts the Terminator walk through the ship and try and get his way to the engine bay. Good fake out here because I get real stank with this. I'm like, how the fuck would this guy even know where the engines are? Like, this makes no sense what's going on here. And of course, things are not as they seem. So nice writer fake out there. This is about the same time, by the way, where... uh Hayes and uh, Reed are having their ultimate slap fight. Yeah, they're doing their they live fight and <laughs> they hear the uh, tactical alert and this guy is running right for the engine room. He gets there. He starts to stick his hand into the engine core to try and disrupt it and destroy it, which is after he's metal. been shot about a dozen times to no effect by phasers or the Mako uh, assault rifles. And when Reed and Hayes arrive, Reed uses his superior Starfleet knowledge <laughs> to know, oh, his I can we- his Wesleyness. I can uh, I can totally fry this man's nervous system by reversing the polarity and forcing a whole bunch of energy through his arm such that he will literally be blown off the top of the engine core and be a smoldering wreck on the floor. Did you catch the special effect of him being bounced off the core? I mean, I, I saw that he was literally bounced off it. Like It's such a bad effect. I, I rewound it and watched it like three times. It's good laughs. It's like a still frame of him like, ooh. <laughs> and so they 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 take the alien to sickbay. He has his last moments where he, in fact, mocks Archer and reveals, yes, I am from the race of people who are trying to destroy you. And so whatever is going on against Earth with the Zindi, this this guy was species is involved and it has something to do with the spheres, which is really the important implication. He yeah, says I am. Yeah, we, we made the spheres. This is intentional. Uh, and there's foreshadowing that the Zindi war has been precipitated by these guys. Uh, so by far the best part of the episode, because this is advancing the interesting meta plot. Uh, follow up to this is Hayes and Reed getting called to Archer's office, both looking way worse than they did five minutes ago. Uh, and it's going to be Archer yelling at both of them and telling them to knock it off. Scott Bakula, I have determined, is unable to portray the emotion of angry. Not the kind of angry that a military officer should be able to manifest. Not the kind of angry that you would think that a preschool teacher should be able to manifest Jonathan Archer being angry with you in a room is about the same conceptually as a active Labrador retriever who wants to play catch. He just doesn't seem threatening. And this is a scene where he needs to seem threatening. This is a scene where the script is, is implying he should be threatening. He should be, absolutely putting the sphere of God into these two men to say your egos are 
are fucking with this whole mission. All of humanity is riding on us. I never want to hear another goddamn whispered word that you two aren't getting along. Like, this is stupid. This is insane that this is happening, which is all good content for him to be laying out because it is stupid and it is insane. And his line of like when Reed tries to speak up and he just barks at him, don't tell me who started it. Like, don't, don't fucking open your goddamn mouth and explain a second of whatever this fucking beef is because it doesn't matter because you two are settling it in this moment. You're best friends from this point forward and that is the life you're going to live. And that's very military, but it has to be barked at you in a way that makes you feel fear. And like you said, Scott Bakulik is not capable. He's just a hyperactive uh, Labrador and he, he wants to play. He has all of his attentions on you, but it's not a threatening attention. Uh, they leave. I do like to kind of throw it, not throw it, the, the joke line there where Archer doesn't dismiss him and both men are afraid to uh, leave the room. And I think Reed's like, think we can go. I did notice because after that, he's going down to see the alien before he finally dies. Did you notice him shove flocks out of the way? Oh, yeah. He he makes a real point of like getting aggressive physically with this guy. No, with flocks. Yeah, and he shoves him out of the way because he's in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's he's showing his disregard for anything except succeeding <laughs> in the mission bit by bit. And that's probably the best content we could get out of Archer, right? Like if he's going to be effective in the season, he's got to be the guy who goes on that journey. He has to be Jack Bauer. And they're trying Minus to the it. fact he just had this huge fucking detour for no reason where he, he snatched this pod out of the goo and endangered it. There was no good reason. If that thing had a distress or it, was, it seemed like it was just something to call their attention, be like, you need to fucking get this. Or guy. if they had some prior indication that the spheres had something to do with the Zendi attack, that's what's missing, right? Our plot detector is going off. This thing is clickable. We should go they, get it. They knew that the Zindi were the threat and they knew that the spheres were weird, but there was never an indication the two were connected. And... You know, this is they needed to tie that aloft to say it was important for them to stop because them understanding the spheres connects to the weapon in some way. And it didn't that didn't happen until the dramatic reveal at the end rather than justify the intervention at the beginning. So but overall, despite all of this stuff, I came away really enjoying it. I felt like it furthered the plot. I liked the romance and there was something enjoyable about Hayes beating the shit out of Reed. (laughs) I could go over that any day. Read big low point on this one. He's a low point, but I don't think he tries it down such that I, I dislike. The Why did they cast this guy? I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but I'm saying he is not a good tactical officer weapons guy. Anything that you've been led to believe that he is supposed to be does not fit. If he was the original science guy and he's got a bug up his ass that DePaul came on the ship last minute and displaced him and he's got a grudge and he's got a little superior intellect thing going. Uh, I'd buy all that, but the, the tough guy act, they try to put him on. This guy does not know what to do with it at all. And it's a shame because it's, it's, it's a big sore thumb. All right, moving on season three, episode 16 doctors orders the picture. I see flocks and to Paul looking up written by Chris black directed by Roxanne Dawson. Hey, if you're thinking about Voyager, Get ready to think more about Voyager. In order to transverse a trans-dimensional disturbance safely, 
The doctor must put the rest of the crew in stasis and pilot Enterprise himself. Hey, I remember this. They literally stole it. What was that? 40 days? Was that what it was called? No, this was the one when uh, I don't think it was 40 days. It was the one where uh, uh, seven and nine, seven and nine had to pilot the ship. Same, same, same plot. Everyone else is in stasis. She's she's running the ship like you could redo a lot of episodes and like it's close enough. You're like, OK, that's it. But like everybody is. I can't wait to see the scene where like they all of a sudden have 80 sleep pods out of nowhere. Like where the fuck do these things come from? Can't wait. We can't wait for you to join us, friends. We hope you've enjoyed this both sinister and sexy episode of Future Please. We have tons of stuff on Patreon right now, www.patreon.com slash Future Please. Check it out. Picard reviews, reanimator review, tank girl review. Go get it. And if you're a fan of Peter and I just kind of talking about shit, we've started regularly publishing videos to YouTube that serve as kind of our warm up before we podcast anyway. We talk about uh, general uh, Trek topics and entertainment topics. Go check that out as well. 